Welcome to Franchise Voice, the podcast from the International Franchise Association. I'm Jack Munson, and on today's show, we'll discuss diversity, equity, and inclusion in franchising with LaTanya Pouncey, President and CEO of The Pouncey Group, and Alicia Visconti, CEO and President of FranServe. But first, a conversation with Jamie Isaacs, the President of All Points Public Relations on local franchisee marketing. Jamie, welcome to the show. How are you? Great, Jack. Thanks for having me on and part of this and the opportunity to share more about a great topic that you and I think can banter on for days. Yeah, I think so. We're going to have to do a lot of editing to cut you and me talking about local franchisee marketing down to just a 20 minutes or a half an hour or so. So let's jump right into it. Um, let's talk about local store marketing. How much is too much? Have we gotten to the point where there's just so much noise out there that there's just too much marketing or is that just never the case? No, I do feel like given the the number of marketing vehicles that are open to franchisees, um, that they can spread themselves a little too thin. Um, there's also kind of the temptation to go to the shiny object of the moment without really much thought about what does your audience really care to listen to or watch or read um, so that's really where, where the mind has to begin on this. And really the art and the science comes together is what does the audience want, given the precious dollars that we know local stores have to work with? I like that idea of shiny objects and, and maybe they need some guidance on what are the shiny objects and what are the places that are actually going to drive some traffic into your location um, is that the role of the franchisor to kind of guide them through that? Well, I do think franchisors have a responsibility to guide franchisees. However, no one should know their local market better than the franchisee themselves. Um, we all get into business to, to be our own boss, to have the opportunity to grow and flourish as an entrepreneur. Um, the backing of a franchisor is key. And they have the expertise and they have the knowledge from other markets, but no one knows that marketplace quite like the local franchisee. So there is this distinct responsibility on the franchisee itself to make the right choice and let the franchisor guide and give options, but don't only kind of leave it to the franchisor to make yeah. your choice for you. Yeah. Let's talk about some of those choices. We, we want to talk about what's not working in just a few minutes, but let's start on the positive side. What's working right now as far as marketing channels? What are you recommending and, and what marketing channels should local franchisees really be focused on right now? Well, the one that comes to mind for me that is incredibly effective because of the uniqueness of it from a geographic standpoint are the influencer marketing opportunities. We it's we almost have to treat it as another local media. When you think about newspapers, magazines, digital marketing, maybe even billboards, right? Influencers have this unique power to talk to folks in your direct marketplace and to influence their buying habits. I really think from a cost-effective standpoint, if you can get an influencer to try your product to give them an opportunity to engage with their audience through your product or service, that can have a dramatic impact on local awareness, driving traffic, and the trust that is contained within them. I think it does stand to, to discuss what exactly is an influencer today, because yeah. I think there's a variety of, of options in that regard too. 
Yeah, let's talk about what makes an influencer. I think too often it's someone who just says, hey, look at me, I'm an influencer. I'm a content creator on TikTok or Instagram or something like that. How do you really consider someone influential in any of these marketing channels? Well, let's talk, talk specifically about local stores, right? Okay. It doesn't you need 50,000 followers. You don't need to pay someone $10,000 or more to do this for you, right? It could be someone in your direct marketplace that has a thousand followers that maybe has a thousand to 10,000. Maybe there's someone with 50,000 that might be willing to work with you. And in most cases, we're going to refer to these types of individuals as, as micro influencers or hyper local influencers, right? Folks that have that local connection and, and aren't really speaking to the nation, right? Just like your local magazine, your local weekly newspaper, um, you know, that's really, if you're thinking about marketing channels as a local store, if you have someone that has influence within your specific trade area, uh, that's a great opportunity to connect with them, to offer maybe, you know, $100 value of food, $100 value of whatever service you're offering. Maybe it's a little bit more, maybe it's a little less. You know, you have to kind of determine what is the value of of that marketing channel. And they have a thought on it too. By the way, there's room to negotiate what they think their value is versus what you think <laughs> yeah. their value is. And 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 at that point, you, you, you start to kind of build out a plan with them. And and when it comes to an influencer, you can negotiate what exactly they're going to say on their own channel about the experience of engaging with your brand. You can actually approve it sometimes too. So you have a lot more control with it, plus a significant amount of influence. And, and as we think about who are those folks, okay? Yes, maybe it is sometimes the, the you know, the, the more um, showy individual on social media. And in other cases, maybe it's someone who's on the PTO at the school, Maybe it's someone who's, you know, a, you know, a, a thought leader in your community. So let's not only treat it as, as some like millennial or Gen Z that is already on social media with significant following. Maybe it really is someone else that has a different type of influence in the market that isn't as, as showy and isn't dancing. Maybe they just have something really, really smart to say on social media. Do you see this kind of local influencer being most effective for maybe a first time business owner who's just starting and having a grand opening and launching a store? Or is that something that should be more reserved for someone who's been in business already for many years? I think it, it's both. It's both what you ask them to do, the messaging that you're asking them to come across with, the content that you're suggesting they utilize is different based on an opening versus maybe existing operations, right? Um, in all cases, I think the ultimate goal is to get people to spend money with you, um, not just awareness. And micro-influencer is a lot more about transactions and driving traffic um, and also perception, whereas major influencers that might not have a, as much of a local appeal are going to be more about awareness than anything else. Because that micro-influencer, and I just want to make sure I have this right, they're actually going to say you know, uh, go to this specific retail location or restaurant or whatever it is, not just brand awareness that, you know, Chick-fil-A is a great brand. Uh, it, it's something specific about a local restaurant in your neighborhood or community. Yes, that is exactly right. Driving to a specific address or, or utilizing a specific service. I will say that it, it is also on either your your agency, a firm, a PR firm like us, or yourself, 
as a as an entrepreneur to vet these folks too and do the proper research. You know, yes, you you want them to deliver the right message, but you know, not everyone's fit to be representing your brand like that, even though they have a significant influence. So, you know, be mindful of it, vet it, uh, you know, ask the right questions, obviously look at their past posts and, and, and look at how they've represented other brands in similar ways. Um, I would also say when you establish the, the kind of the barter or whatever the, the, the deal is going to be with the, um, with the influencer, live up to your promise as well. Got it. Let's talk about making that strategy. Is that something that should be done with the franchisor and the franchisee and maybe their their third party agency or or other uh, people who are helping? What does that collaboration need to look like? Sure. I, th- I think the channel itself, like the decision to pursue influencers is a franchisor related approval process. Franchisors should give the go ahead, the green light for your, your firm or your franchisee, whoever's actually going to go after it on a micro level to, to, to utilize that channel because maybe it's worked before in other markets and, or, and maybe it serves up well for influencer marketing. Shouldn't just be a, a willy nilly decision. At that point, I don't believe that a franchisor should need to approve every influencer that's going to be representing every small business owner as a franchisee in their markets. I think if they're given guidelines and given the right direction, a franchisee as well as their agency should have that empowerment to make those relationships happen. Let's talk uh, a little bit more about some successes recently. Do you have any case studies about local franchisees that have really knocked it out of the park when it comes to local marketing? Yes. And and we can go beyond influencers, but why don't we just start there uh, okay. since we're kind of hot on this topic right now. Um, yeah, we're, we're working. Uh, I, I can give a couple couple different examples, right? Let, let's talk about a, an emerging brand, an emerging concept, and then we can talk about you know, one that's more of a legacy brand and, and a, a bit of a different geographic environment. Uh, but for instance, right now, uh, we happen to be working with a Chicagoland brand that is, you know, opening in significantly sized suburbs that is also looking to make its mark in the city as well. And we've aligned with Chicagoland area influencers. So because the brand and and its franchisees are opening in major suburbs and in major shopping hubs, Mm. we feel like we, we have a regional kind of opportunity here from the city out to the suburbs. There's, there's influencers that we would want to because of the shopping areas where these are opening. And so, you know, wonderful successes in the past couple months, um, pursuing influencers, getting them out to the stores and pairing that up with a grand opening celebration and grand opening uh, marketing, grand opening deals. So when you kind of have an integrated approach and influencers are part of that, it does make for a really nice compliment to all the other marketing that might be happening with an opening. And it's also a driving force for a lot of that awareness too. And if you negotiate properly, influencers can also perpetuate the grand opening deals. So for instance, you can negotiate with the influencer, hey, in addition to all the the content that you're going to create, can you also offer your audience a contest or some sort of sweepstakes or some sort of acknowledgement that they can then engage with you on and you can give something away to your audience, you're adding more value to your audience 
beyond just the promotion of our of our new location. So we were creating that value. So um, that's a good example of kind of a, a larger emerging brand who we had to go, you know, build some awareness. The other thing is because we're pulling from maybe 50 square miles in, in a sense, because you have the city out to the suburbs, um, we do have uh, to keep in mind that we're asking influencers who want to visit the stores to get there. And as we know, in a lot of our markets, whether it's Chicago or others, getting places isn't easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and really no one wants to get anywhere. Right. Oh, they just want to sit and stay in their home. <laughs> uh, but um, we actually paid for their transportation in some cases too. the brand, you know, made it as easy as possible. So um, those are and they're making sure that they got there on time too. So I, exactly. I really all like that. that and then that they're treated right and all that. And, 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 and that's a brand that has no, you know, no awareness, kind of no, you know, history, no legacy. So it really is on the brand to go the extra mile to get folks there to, to, you know, from an influencer standpoint. Yeah. And and with your history in public relations and media relations and working in the media for many years before you even got into franchising, I think there are there are some, you know, pro tips like that, that that you see that you can help out a brand with that a lot of people doing this on their own may have missed that one. Right. Right. Exactly. Versus, you know, let's use another client that's, you know, a century old um ice cream concept and, and is really big in small towns. I think you can figure out which okay. one it is. Um, you know, and we do a lot in their small towns to support the, these locations, whether they're opening or existing. And, um, you know, when you have 10,000 people in a town, that's, that's a different thought than 7 million in Chicago Yeah, in, in terms of local store marketing. And so from an influencer standpoint, right, that is maybe the PTO, the influencer. Maybe it is the, um, you know, the fire station. You know, yeah. maybe the high school the, basketball coach is probably a huge influencer exactly. in that town. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and um, you know, in, in, in your town, Jack, I'm sure you're an influencer because I know it's like a mile <laughs> between neighbors there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, so, you know, that's, that's what I'm referring to is the, the big difference in that, um, and how we would approach local store marketing in a small 10,000 person town where neighbors are distances apart. And, uh, we really go about it very differently for that kind of client in terms of local store where, you know, the daily newspaper is like, you know, it's, it's something that no one misses. Yeah. Right. Um, you still know, the weekly, the, week, the weekly paper is still very important, very, you know, the, the, the percentage of people that are using social and at least, you know, from a buying power standpoint, aren't as high as 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 others. Um, so we got to think about each one a little differently. Um, and we're probably going to go a little heavier on traditional media in some of those smaller markets than than influencers and digital. Excellent. Let's talk about where things might go wrong when it comes to local store marketing. Is there anything that that you can think of that um, that people are just doing that might not make really great sense right now, or you know maybe some other areas where franchisees are kind of going in the wrong direction with local marketing efforts? You know, one of the biggest kind of warning signs for me is TikTok when it comes to local store marketing. Um, for me. I believe that's a brand level proposition because of the quality of the content that you really need on there compared to the damage that you can do otherwise. Um, I, I really feel like unless you are a true um, content creator and have a true content creator at the local level, which most 
franchisees do not have a, a local content creator, I really feel like TikTok, even in most cases, Instagram should be held to the brand level where maybe there is the resources to have a content creator constantly pumping out fresh, creative, sounding, looking, um, and, and a whole host of other um, elements that make video and audio come together in a compelling way. Got it. Okay. So final question as we wrap up today, Jamie, um, if you had one marketing channel, only one that you could use for a local franchise, what's that one marketing channel and why? It's a really difficult question because as I just explained, it depends on the market size and, and what the audience is going to be um, going for, but let's use an average size town in an average okay. type of market. Um I would I would go with the local newspaper slash online version of that. I'd, I'd probably mm -hmm. go with that in most cases still um, because people are going to have several ways of consuming that news that might come across an online news story or might come across it in print. But let's, let's say it's more productive right now for that story to appear online, right? The reporter is going to repurpose that with a social media post. The ah. publication... The publication is going to repurpose that with a social media post. Um, people can share it very easily through social media. So I, I, I do still feel like a compelling news story is going to be the most productive through like a newspaper slash online version of that because it's so shareable. I love that idea of not just relying on social media, but relying on some sort of local traditional media that's going to use social to amplify that voice and and maybe that actually will even reach people outside of that uh, particular community too. So right. it gives everyone more um, tangible use of that media um, when you're when you have a, a, a traditional start to it, a reporter behind it, third party validation, and then it allows you to utilize that in a variety of channels. Um, so I really feel like that launching pad is traditional media, usually online. It's going to be the way that it takes the biggest shape for, a, for you, local business owner. That's a great idea. Even in this world of increasing noise, that third-party validation is still really, really important. Jamie, if anybody has questions for you about influencer marketing or, or specifically influencer or other channels for local store marketing, where can we send them? Well, please uh, visit us at all points pr.com. Uh, LinkedIn is a great way. Our, our LinkedIn page, my personal LinkedIn page, um, my email is very accessible just about everywhere. Um, so please uh, feel free to, to reach out in, in all uh, vehicles. Uh, we're very active on all forms of social media. So please engage with us there too. And um, like you know, Jack, we will be at the International Franchise Association Conference coming up here soon, um, very soon, uh, you know, starting um, the 22nd, no, not the 22nd, the 25th, I'll be flying out there on Saturday, the 25th, um, and then I'll be there through Wednesday. So if anyone's there and wants to chat, you know, come come visit us. Uh, we've got a, a booth just next to registration in the Nourishment Hub. Excellent. I will see you at the Nourishment Hub. I like the idea of that at the Mandalay Bay for the IFA Convention 2023. Thank you so much, Jamie. Thanks, Jack. And thanks to the IFA for letting us uh, have this opportunity.
Back to Franchise Voice in a moment after this word from Benetrends Financial. Hi, this is Rocco Fiorentino, CEO of Benetrends Financial. Over four decades ago, our founder, Len Fisher, created the Rainmaker program, which allows any individual to use their retirement funds to purchase a business tax-deferred and penalty-free. Since then, nothing has been more sacred to our team than the honor and responsibility that goes with serving the franchise industry. As this year's preferred partner of the International Franchise Association, our focus at Benetrends is to support our franchisor partners in new and creative ways to provide quick and efficient funding for their franchisees. This year, Entrepreneur Magazine recognized Benetrends as the number one finance partner in the industry, and our team is excited and proud to be ranked among the best in franchising. Learn more now at Benetrends.com. Welcome to Franchise Voice from the International Franchise Association. I'm Jack Munson, and joining me today are Latanya Pouncey, President and CEO of the Pouncey Group, and Alicia Visconti, CEO and President of FranServe and Franchise Dictionary Magazine. Welcome, Latanya and Alicia. Thank you. Hello, hello. Jack, and hello to Latanya. Hello to you both. I think this is the first time that both of you have been on the Franchise Voice. So for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with your organizations, let's get a little bit of background. First, you, Latanya, tell us a bit about the Pouncey Group. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am Latanya Pouncey, as you mentioned, uh, President and CEO of the Pouncey Group, which is comprised of Talent Make Solutions. We are an HR consulting, staffing, and recruiting firm. Uh, so we work with mid to large firms um, to help them solve their talent needs, um, support them as an extension of their HR um, offices um, in a variety of um, HR services, um, including diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy, um, which is our topic today, across um, a variety of brands and industries. So that's who we are. Thank you very much. Alicia, tell us a bit about FranServe. Well, thank you, Jack. Uh, FranServe, we are uh, the world's largest franchise consulting organization. And really what that means is, you know, we change people's lives through franchise ownership. We bring investors and franchisors and brands together so that we can change the world. We say that franchising is our superpower. And we really believe that we are doing that in the franchise space by helping people uh, become entrepreneurs. You know, there's something about HR and uh, franchise consulting and franchise development that all kind of fits together in that it's all based on creating opportunities and, and really helping people find their way in the future. Latanya, I'm sure you've been very busy for the past couple of years with all of the, the challenges in the hiring world and staffing shortages and all of the things that have that have sort of crept up on all business types, including franchising over the past couple of years. But it, it feels like you've, you're really focusing on today diversity, equity, and inclusion. Can we can we kind of go down that road for a bit? And let's talk about what that looks like here in 2023 in the workplace. Sure. Um, well, as you mentioned, um, it, it does overlap and it does align because when we talk about um, franchise business development and HR, we're really talking about building and developing um, the people in the organization overall, right? Um, and, you know, organizations are 
they're, they're made up of people. And in order to have, you know, organizations thrive, we need to ensure that our people are thriving. And, um, you know, through the pandemic, um, you know, that really amplified diversity, equity, inclusion in the workplace even further, um, where many organizations um, really, you know, start to, started to think about, you know, how do we look to, you know, really, um, you know, foster diversity, equity, inclusion within our organizations as a result, you know, of the George Floyd killings and so many other um, unfortunate um, Black deaths that were occurring across America. But really prior to the, you know, um, George Floyd um, killings, um, many organizations and practitioners like myself were leading diversity, equity, inclusion for large enterprises. And, um, but again, once we got into the pandemic, um, it really amplified um, how do we really foster diversity, equity, inclusion um, in the workplace, um, in healthcare, um, in employment, um, uh, in police reform and, and social justice, et cetera. And, you know, it really, you know, had organizations really take a step back and say, what can we do? Um, how can we reset? What do we need to do differently? Um, you know, as, as we look at our culture and as we look at um, diversifying our workforce um, and making sure that everyone um, is feeling inclusive, has access and opportunities in order to thrive um, within an organization and particularly franchising, if you're a franchise brand or not, or thinking about becoming a franchise brand. Um, so it's really about culture change in the workplace today. Um, and again, how do we really embed diversity, equity, inclusion within our business? Because it is a business priority um, and not something that's extra. And um, it's really important uh, that organizations, particularly when you're a franchise organization, that when you're looking to think about, um, you know, really fostering and, and really building out diversity, equity, inclusion, that it's not this extra thing to do. That number one, it starts at the top and you really build it into your business priority. Um, so it's prioritized as something that's important, just as finance, um, accounting is, um, communications, HR, and every other function, every other operational function within your organization and within your franchise system. I like that idea of DEI not just being, you know, some extra thing that's come along that that you kind of put on top of everything else, right? But it's really part of the culture and really part of the overall business plan. Why should employers be so concerned and really focused on DEI right now? Is that a question for me or Alicia? <laughs> uh, we'll go with you. And then I'd love to hear Alicia's take on it as well. Sure. So right now we have four or five um, generational um, generations in the workforce. And the younger generation is definitely looking for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and they're looking for diversity, equity, and inclusion, not only because when you talk about diversity and inclusion, a lot of times the first things people think about, which we have been really trying to push the narrative and the focus beyond gender and ethnicity, but it's really about um, diversity and inclusion and how we work, right? So what does the leadership team look like? What does the overall workforce look like? You know, is there diversity? Um, is the company focused on diversity, equity, inclusion? And do they truly have programs and initiatives built into the organization that really helps the talent thrive? Um, how is it built into communic marketing communications and how we attract um, 
individuals to our workforce. And then also when we get them through the door, how do we retain them and then advance them um, through the organization, um, through promotions, um, succession plans, um, performance development, um, those sort of things. So it's, you know, if your competitors are doing it and as an organization or a franchise brand, you're not doing that, you're really going to fall behind because the ones who make um, diversity, equity, inclusion a, a business priority are going to be the ones that truly thrive over the long term. So um, that's why it's very important at this time. Alicia, additional thoughts. Yeah, you know, I tell you, franchising, when you think about it, right, it's about people who want to be business owners. And I look at the IFA and applaud them, right, because we had the, the Women's Committee and Vet Fran and Pride, and, you know, now we have, you know, Black Franchise Leadership Council and, and more, more coming out, right, in terms of uh, diversification. And it, it really is such a common emotion, not just the American dream, but, you know, worldwide, people want to be independent and be entrepreneurs and own a business and provide generational wealth for their family. And, and, and if you're not understanding what's happening in the landscape, you're just missing the boat. All of, all of many, many people looking to connect with franchises, looking to connect with funding, and they don't know how to do that. And that's really where franchising, the IFA, is providing leadership. And for a brand who's not embracing that, like Latanya said, they will be you know, swept up in the waters because, uh, you know, to quote Bob Dylan, you know, the times they are a changing. And if you don't understand that diversity encompasses everything, not just race and, and sexual orientation, but, but mindset, the way people think. Um, I always say, I, I don't want to have leadership that's just like me. I already know how I think. I want to know how other people think. I want to cross the board. Because that's what franchising is. It's out into the world, into the community. And if you can't speak to everyone across the community by your own standards, then how are you ever going to reach more franchisees or employees for your franchise location? You have to be you know, understanding that this is the time to make the move. And franchising always takes a leadership role in making changes in the world. So get it together, everybody. <laughs> Very well said. Latanya, I want to go back to something that you said about uh, this just being a smart business decision here in 2023. How do you see DEI having an impact on a company's bottom line? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, following up to what Alicia said, um, you know, you have to, organizations have also realized from a competitor and market um, place standpoint that, um, you know, one of their core foundations is always innovation, right? And advancing in the marketplace, being the leader in the marketplace and, you know, really capturing that market share, um, ensuring they have the best performance. But the only way to do that is making sure that you have diverse perspectives at the table. And when you don't have that, then it just simply leads to groupthink. Everyone, you're just constantly going to come up with the same ideas. Um, you can't expect, you know, things to change if you're not changing your environment, um, the discussions that you're having. Um, you're not allowing people from diverse backgrounds with diverse perspectives to have a seat at the table and to bring them in the room to be a part of the decision-making process, um, not just to hear, but actually to participate 
um, take their thoughts and perspectives into consideration and actually implement them. Um, those are the things that are really going to impact an organization's bottom line, because those are the things that lead to innovation and um, greater performance for an organization. And all of that, as we all know, leads to greater market share. So, um, you know, when I when I'm speaking to brands, um, you know, those things are absolutely key. And, and a lot of times you will have the same individuals um, at the table. Um, it's not diverse, either same uh, gender, uh, same ethnicity, um, and you're just not getting that cross-pollination and that intersectionality um, that you truly need in order to allow your organization to thrive. Excellent. Uh, let's talk about the hard stuff, and then we're going to talk about the good stuff. So first, uh, do either of you have an example of a DEI strategy that maybe didn't work out so well or, or maybe didn't work as intended. Anything come to mind for either of you? Right now, you know, it's Black History Month, um, mm -hmm. you know, just out in the world. Um, you know, there were some schools, for example, who, you know, as they were kicking off and launching Black History Month, um, they obviously didn't have the right perspectives at the table because when they went to do the menu, the menu went out and the menu came off is discriminatory. Why? Because they thought that they were going to serve um, watermelon and Kool-Aid and so all of these derogatory things that um, are negative for, um, you know, African-American culture um, and that have been, you know, deemed derogatory towards African-American culture. And while the intent was good, um, it actually turned out to be um, something very bad and, you um, in a very public way. Now, what happens there? Your your brand and your reputation is ruined, right? And now you have to um, try to get control of that, which is going to now take some time. Um, and not only is your brand and your reputation is ruined, the trust is ruined within your leadership team and your students um, because of you know the, the failed attempt to launch Black History Month um, in a proper manner, in a fun manner, in a respectful manner when it just simply just takes having the conversation and taking the time to, you know, say, hey, you know, we're looking to do this. We would like for you to participate. Give us your thoughts. Um, and then running things by people and particularly the culture um, and the individuals um, that you're targeting. You know, why not get their perspectives? And when you don't do that, disaster can, can certainly strike. Um, you know, you know, when I'm leading diversity, equity, and inclusion, I always say there's no room for error. There's no room for failure. There's no room for error. And, um, you know, it's very important that we try to, you know, bring people along. Yes, you're going to have failures, even as DNI experts. We don't have all of the answers, right? Um, but, you know, when you do make a mistake, um, you know, you apologize, try to rectify the mistake, and you try to move on. But when you make simple, careless mistakes, um, that can really hinder your, your your reputation and your brand. That's a whole nother. That's a whole nother level. Fortunately for me, I have not had that situation. I have you know seen situations where um, these simple, particularly around marketing and communications, can really hinder a brand. And um, I'm always communicating and franchise brands. That's what that is one of your key attractors, right? The, you know, getting potential candidates to come into your brand 
and, and attract them. And um, when you're talking about rolling out diversity, equity, and inclusion, the marketing and communication has to be right to your audience and making sure that you're not using discriminatory language. Um, it's not offensive. And that's to anyone because you can have people who are actually offended who are not even a part of the audience that you are actually targeting. So it's important that brands be mindful of that and invite people to the table to ask them, you know, to get their perspectives. And if you don't have that within your organization, go outside of that. It's okay to do that. Hold a focus group, um, run surveys or, or something like that to get the additional perspectives and buy-in um, because the, the costs down the road can be astronomical. Very good. Let's talk about attracting that talent. Alicia, where would someone go to attract more diverse talent, um, either as a franchisor looking for franchisees or as a small business looking to hire uh, a more diverse talent? Where where would they start? Well, the world, right? I mean, when you look at it, it's right. It's everyone's in front of us. So a lot of it has to do with marketing. Um, the message that you're putting out is also going to be, you know, the vibe that attracts your tribe, you know, kind of thing. So we've seen marketing change so much from what it used to be. Everybody was perfect, airbrushed, you know, the Barbie figure, you know, for women. And I mean, it, it was just a ridiculous uh, standard. And we see marketing changing now to be more realistic, more real people. And the response is overwhelming to that because we can relate to that. So to be diversified in marketing, to put the word out, um, to be mindful of working with your you know, PR team in what messages you're sending, and to be open, to, to be verbal about it, to say that we're making a stand, we want to go forward with inclusion, um, really is the first start. Right to be passionate about changing the culture, and you know, Latani made a great uh, point about having a either a committee internally or getting help outside to start, you know, a, a committee internally for either the brand or the franchisee. You know, uh, I saw something on Facebook the other day. I don't normally quote quote Facebook, but I'm going to. It said, "Books, umbrellas, and minds only work when they're open," and I absolutely love that. So I think that's really where it starts. You know, it, it's the attitude of we want to attract this. Where you put your mind, where you look for growth is where you're going to find it. So a lot of it is a marketing, including websites. People don't look at their own websites to see what's being um, their calling card to the world, so to speak. Things like that really can make a positive difference. Excellent. Um, I I love that uh that meme you described. And I don't know if we're just part of the same circle or if I saw you share that, but I thought that was one of the best things I've seen on social media in a long time. Latanya, same question to you. Um, where should a company start? And, and maybe, maybe even a little further uh, for an executive team that just doesn't have any sort of DEI program or strategy in place it, it can feel a little overwhelming for some people because they don't want to start off on the wrong foot and get this wrong. Where where would you recommend that they start? Sure, absolutely. Um, first and foremost, I think that it's important that at the executive level that they are aware, right, that there are gaps within their workforce um, and they understand what those gaps are. And so when you're going to put together uh, a talent strategy, um, 
You need to understand where, where are you falling? Um, <clears throat> so looking at your demographics internally um, will then tell you um, where your focus needs to be. So um, are you falling short of women um, within the workforce? Um, is it women just within leadership roles or at the executive level? Um, is it underserved community, communities like Black professionals, Latino professionals, Asian professionals, or is it all of the above? Is it also perhaps LGBTQ you want to um, diversify and bring in more veterans um, or individuals with disabilities? You know, those, those sort of things. And when you can analyze and look at your internal data, that will set the strategy um, for where you need to go. Now, I always tell people, looking at the data doesn't, um, you don't have to look at the data to also look at your own organization internally to tell you what you need to know, but the data supports that and um, it will help to support your reason for, for doing, um, for, for your why and why you need to focus there for when others question it or when others want to know you have the data to back you up. And then from there, um, it's really setting the strategy and building that PR um, strategy that Alicia just spoke to as well. And then tapping into different um, schools and universities, um, organizations. You know, a lot of time executive roles, um, like many roles, they come through referrals, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, can you use a different executive search company, you know, one that has a specific focus on diversity and inclusion? There are a lot of companies who work with search firms as well as marketing firms. And when they're working with you, they will specifically say that they want a diverse slate of candidates. And if you cannot deliver that, then we then we just, you're just not the right partner for us. So you have to be intentional from the very beginning, right? You have to look at the data and then you have to be intentional about where you're going to go out and get this information, get, excuse me, get the, the, the talent. And again, you can, you know, use, you know, online job boards, but for executive roles, we're not doing that, right? So making sure your executive search firm understands your requirements, the specifics as to what you're looking for, um, leveraging um, other executives, diverse executives to, um, as, your, as your talent ambassadors, you know, to refer additional um, executives to, or leaders uh, to your organization and leveraging your employees, using social media, um, you know, specific groups, you know, there's a, a myriad of um, opportunities of where you can go and find the talent. The talent is there. There are exclusive networks for these talents, um, looking in specific um, industry-related um, organizations, as well as exclusive networks. The talent is there. Um, when organizations or brands say that they can't find the talent, no, the talent is there. It's just how you are going about finding the talent. So you just have to be intentional, set the strategy, and then go after it and do it. Excellent. Alicia, let's take that down to the franchisee level. You work with so many brands, and those brands all have hundreds or even thousands of franchisees and locations. How can they properly take the DEI strategy from the, the franchise or brand level all the way through the franchise system down to that local level? That, that seems like a huge task. Where would you recommend a franchisor start to, you know, really sort of implement that and, and share that knowledge throughout the entire system? Well, I think it's two factors, uh, Jack. Yeah, when you're talking about franchisors, right, it's the message that they're delivering to their franchisees, right? Are they, you know, involved in some of the committees? Are they leading by example? 
right? Are they setting up their own committees? Are they doing things that will help disseminate the information to their franchisees? So that's the first thing, right? They have to be on board. They have to step forward. They have to make the decision that this is important to them as a brand. And uh, for brands who are listening and don't think so, you heard Latanya say it, your competitors are, so you better change your attitude. Um, but for franchisees, you know, it's the same thing, right? They're looking for employees. They're looking for people who are going to represent their brand, go out to the community. That's usually what franchisees are about. They're in the community. So, you know, it has to be familiar to the community. It has to be comfortable. They have to be able to show that they are diverse as well as the franchisor. Otherwise, it's just one saying one thing and another doing another, right? One hand and the other one doesn't know what it's doing. So it really comes down to practice what you preach. You know, do, do I always say integrity is what happens when no one's looking, no one's right. watching you, yeah. right? And that's really what it comes down to. If we really are gonna change the landscape, it comes down to individuals making good on statements that they're saying, right? And, and holding each other accountable whether it's the franchisor to the franchisees, right? Or the franchisees to the franchisors. Are we working together as a team to bring more people into the world of franchising? Because most every franchise brand wants another franchisee, right? Just one more. We, they always want one more franchisee. And franchisees are looking for employees now, right? They're, in order for them to scale up, they're going to need a workforce. So again, changing, understanding that younger um, workforce that's coming in, whether you have you know, millennials or younger that are coming into the, the workforce, their priorities are very different than you know, the baby boomers and Gen X and all of that. Mm -hmm. And if you do not understand that, um, it's time for a wake up call because franchising is set for explosive growth as long as we embrace this concept. Let's wrap it up talking about those employees that you just mentioned. Latanya, what advice would you have for someone who maybe they're not the owner or the CEO or, or in the C-suite, they're an employee of a company, could be a franchise company, and they want to encourage their executive team to really take a good look at this and, and encourage greater DEI practices throughout the system what would you recommend to that employee who may not feel like they're very empowered to speak up on the topic? Sure. So I would definitely encourage them to find the courage, you know, to have that conversation. Um, and in order to do that, and what can assist with that conversation is having the data. Um, organizations, franchise brands, they love to see and know what their competitors are doing. So if you can showcase um, what your competitors are doing and how you can infuse and um, that into your own organization and how it will benefit your own organization and where you see the gaps are and where the opportunities are. Um, I think that would be tremendous in getting the, the leadership team um, at the franchisee level and the franchisor level possibly um, to take a look to say, hey, um, this is something that we need to focus on. Um, also, when employees are empowered to start affinity groups, um, organizations, you know, at the franchisee level and the franchisor level, they will see that um, that this is important, you know, to their workforce, right? And so then they will start to get behind them 
to support these affinity groups and or um, diversity, equity, inclusion councils to ensure that they're thriving because when they have great leadership and they have the structure built behind them and then they see the power and influence of the of these affinity groups and or councils, then it starts to change the mindset um, at the leadership team. And so what I have seen from practicing this over 10 years is that affinity groups and councils work really well when you have the right people um, leading them and when you have the right structure in place. And there's, a, um, there's that with them in it. So what's in it for me as an employee and what's in it for the organization? Um, to take hold. And, and remember, you don't have to have all of the answers and you don't have to try to do everything because diversity, equity, inclusion is a huge job, role, and responsibility. It's also everyone's responsibility. But when you're trying to kick it off for the first time, just take it um, a small piece at a time and not try to overwhelm yourself. I like that idea of it being everyone's responsibility within an organization, not just one thing that one person with that particular title is uh, responsible for, but it's something that everyone throughout the organization should be touching at times. Latanya, before we go, if anyone would like more information on your organization and how you might be able to help, where can we send them? Sure. Well, you can connect with me on LinkedIn at Latanya Pouncey. You can also reach out to me via email at hello at talentmix. Dot com. That's T-A-L-E-N-T-M-I-X-X.com. Excellent. And Alicia, I know we can see you on LinkedIn throughout the day. I see you on there every day with me. Uh, <laughs> where else can we send anybody who's got some questions about FranServe? You can go to our website at FranServe.com. And you can also reach out to me at avisconti at FranServe.com. Thank you both so much for sharing some time today on a very important discussion. And we look forward to chatting with you again in the near future and seeing you at the IFA convention coming up later this week. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Thanks, Jack. And thanks to you for listening to Franchise Voice from the International Franchise Association. For more information, go to franchise.org.